0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's
1: podcast is a reading of Out of the Storm by William Hope Hodgson. It was first published in 1909. It's read for us by Brian Murphy, and we'll be discussing it afterwards.
0: Out of the Storm by William Hope Hodgson Read by Brian Murphy Hush, said my friend the scientist as I walked into his laboratory. I had opened my lips to speak but stood silent for a few minutes at his request. He was sitting at his instrument and the thing was tapping out a message in a curiously irregular fashion, stopping for a few seconds, then going on at a furious pace. It was during a somewhat longer-than-usual pause that, growing slightly impatient, I ventured to address him. Anything important? I asked. For God's sake, shut up, he answered back in a high, strained voice. I stared. I'm used to pretty abrupt treatment from him at times, when he is much engrossed in some particular experiment, but this was going a little too far, and I said so. He was writing, and for reply he pushed several loosely written sheets over to me with one curt word. Read. With a sense half of anger, half of curiosity, I picked up the first and glanced at it. After a few lines, I was gripped and held securely by a morbid interest. I was reading a message from one in the last extremity. I will give it word for word. John, we are sinking. I wonder if you really understand what I feel at the present time. You sitting comfortably in your laboratory, I out here upon the waters, already one among the dead. Yes, we are doomed. There is no such thing as help in our case. We are sinking. Steadily, remorselessly. God, I must keep up and be a man. I need not tell you that I am in the operator's room. All the rest are on deck or dead in the hungry thing which is smashing the ship to pieces. I do not know where we are, and there's no one of whom I can ask. The last of the officers was drowned nearly an hour ago, and the vessel is now little more than a sort of breakwater for the giant seas. Once about a half an hour ago I went out onto the deck. My God, the sight was terrible. It's a little after midday, but the the sky is the color of mud. Do you understand? Gray mud. Down from it there hang vast lappets of clouds. Not such clouds as I have ever before seen, but monstrous, mildewed-looking hulls. They show solid, save where the frightful wind tears their lower edges into great feelers that soar savagely above us, like the tentacles of some enormous horror. Such a sight is difficult to describe to the living, though the dead of the sea know of it without words of mine. It is such a sight that none is allowed to see and live. It is a picture for the doomed and the dead, one of the sea's hell orgies, one of the things monstrous gloatings over the living, say the alive and death, those upon the brink. I have no right to tell of it to you. To speak of it to one of the living is to initiate innocence into one of the infernal mysteries, to talk of foul things to a child. Yet I care not. I will expose in all its hideous nakedness the death side of the sea. The undoomed living shall know some of the things that death has hitherto so well guarded. Death knows not of this little instrument beneath my hands that connects me still with the quick, else would he haste to quiet me. Hark you, John, I have learnt undreamt of things in this time of waiting. I know now while we are afraid of the dark, I had never imagined such secrets of the sea and the grave which are one and the same. Listen! Ah, but I was forgetting you cannot hear. I can. The sea is... Hush. The sea is laughing, as though hell cackled from the mouth of an ass. It is jeering. I can hear its voice echo like satanic thunder amid the mud overhead. It's calling to me. Call. I must go. The sea calls. Oh, God, are thou indeed God? Canst thou sit above and watch calmly that which I have just seen? Nay, thou art no God. Thou art weak and puny inside this foul thing which thou didst create in thy lusty youth. It is now God, and I am one of its children. Are you there, John? Why don't you answer? Listen, I ignore God, for there is a stronger than he. My God is here, beside me, around me, and will be soon above me. You know what that means. It is merciless. The sea is all the God there is. That is one of the things I have learned. Listen, it is laughing again. God is it, not he. It called and I went on to the decks. All oh, was terrible. It is in the waste everywhere. It has swamped the ship. Only the forecastle, bridge, and poop stick up out of the bestial reeking Thing, like three islands in the midst of shrieking foam. At times, gigantic billows assail the ship from both sides. They form momentary arches above the vessel, arches of dull, curved water half a hundred feet towards the hideous sky. Then they descend, roaring. Think of it. You cannot. There is an infection of sin in the air. It is the exhalations of the Thing. Those left upon the drenched islets of shattered wood and iron are doing the most horrible things. The Thing is teaching them. Later, I felt the vile informing of its breath, but I have fled back here to pray for death. On the forecastle, I saw a mother and her little son clinging to an iron rail. A great billow heaved up above them, descended in a falling mountain of brine. It passed, and yet they were still there. The thing was only toying with them, yet all the same it had torn the hands of the child from the rail, and the child was clinging frantically to its mother's arm. I saw another vast hill hurl up to port and hover above them, then the mother stooped and bit like a foul beast at the hands of her wee son. She was afraid that his little additional weight would be more than she could hold. I heard his scream even where I stood. It drove to me upon that wild laughter it told me again that god is not he but it then the hill thundered down upon those two it seemed to me that the thing gave a bellow as it leapt it roared about them churning and growling then surged away and there was only one the mother there appeared to me to be blood as well as water upon her face especially about her mouth but the distance was too great and i cannot be sure i looked away Close to me I saw something further, a beautiful young girl, her soul hideous with the breath of the thing, struggling with her sweetheart for the shelter of the chart house side. He threw her off, but she came back at him. I saw her hand come from her head where still clung the wreckage of some form of headgear. She struck at him. He shouted and fell away to leeward, and she smiled, showing her teeth. So much for that. I turned elsewhere. Out upon the thing I saw gleams horrid and suggestive, below the crests of the waves. I've never seen them until this time. I saw a rough sailor man washed away from the vessel. One of the huge breakers snapped at him. Those things were teeth. It has teeth. I heard them clash. I heard his yell. It was no more than a mosquito's shrilling amid all that laughter, but it was very terrible. There is worse than death. The ship is lurching, very queerly with a sort of Sickening heave, I fancy I've been asleep. No, I remember now. I hit my head when she rolled so strangely. My leg is doubled under me, I think it's broken, but it does not matter. I've been praying i i what was it? I feel calmer, more resigned now. I think I've been mad. What was it that I was saying? I cannot remember. it was something about about God, I I believe I blasphemed. May he forgive me. Thou knowest, God, that I was not in my right mind. Thou knowest that I am very weak. Be with me in the coming time. I have sinned, but thou art all merciful. Are you there, John? It's very near the end now. I had so much to say, but it all slips from me. What was it that I said? I take it all back. I was mad, and, and God knows. He is merciful, and I have very little pain now. I feel a bit drowsy. I wonder whether you are there, John. Perhaps, after all, no one has heard the things I have said. It's better so. The living are not meant. And yet, I do not know. If you are there, John, you will... You will tell her how it was, but not... Not... Hark! There was such a thunder of water overhead just then. I fancy two vast seas have met in mid-air across the top of the bridge and burst all over the vessel. It must be soon now, and there were such a number of things I had to say. I can hear voices in the wind. They are singing. It's like an enormous dirge. I think I've been dozing again. I pray God humbly that it be soon. You will not, not tell her anything about, about what I may have said, will you, John? I mean those things which I ought not to have said. What was it I did say? My head is growing strangely confused. I wonder whether you really do hear me. I may be talking only to the vast roar outside. Still, it is some comfort to go on, and I will not believe that you do not hear all I say. Hark again! A mountain of brine must have swept clean over the vessel. She's gone right over on her side. She's back again. It will be very soon now. Are you there, John? Are you are you there? It is coming. The sea has come for me. It's rushing down through the companionway. It, it is like a vast jet. My God, I am drowning. I'm drowning. I, I'm dra.
2: Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Tomahome.
0: Hi, I'm Brian Murphy, and I read the story you just heard.
1: Thank you very much. At first, I thought it was Stefan Rudnicki. You, you've both got deep voices. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, this is uh, how many audiobooks have you done now? At least three, I think. Uh, Maybe more.
0: This, well, we won't count the second one, but yeah, this could be three.
1: This, wow. <laughs> I think I think you should should pursue this because I think you're going to be good at it. Uh, I, I got a hold of you through Julie uh, Hoverson of 19 Nocturne Boulevard, and she, uh, she said, Oh, you should check this out. Um, and she sent me uh, a reading you did of a Conan story called, uh, what was it called?
0: Uh, the Frost Giant's Daughter or the Gods of the North,
1: either way. All right, which is uh, uh, probably the shortest Conan story, I think, by a long ways. But also, it's a public domain one that a lot of people know, and it's a—I think it's a pretty good one. I think you did a really good job with that.
0: Thanks. That was my very first recording. I was just playing around to see if I could get uh, things recorded right, you know, and it came out all right.
1: Awesome. And then uh, I—we we talked a bit, and I gave you some PDFs that I thought you might be interested in, and uh, you recorded recorded this for us. Is this your first Hodgson story?
0: This is actually, yeah.
1: You never read anything by him I,
0: prior? No, I, I I've read some of him prior, like um, but it's been a long, long time, a very
1: uh, long time. This is, uh, I think, his shortest story that I'm aware of, and I just I really became enamored with it because of the uh, the ambig ambiguous sort of reading you can do on it. There's no either, There's no dragon though, like in the picture. Well, yeah, actually, so uh, the art you're referring to there. On the on the post I did, that's um, that's a Gustave Doré illustration of Leviathan from uh, some biblical book in the nineteenth century that he illustrated. And if you read the story very closely, I think it, it is supposed to be the Leviathan.
2: Oh,
0: yeah, it could be either way. It's it's a strange story the way he tells it. It could yeah. be just the ocean, or it could be something more.
1: Yeah, it's, it's either a natural... Uh, I think I said it's either a naturalistic or a supernaturalistic uh, story. He <laughs> could just be anthropomorphizing the ocean. Well, that's... I think... Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you believe uh, the Bible to be literally true, and that the Earth was created in... Uh, well, I don't know. No, no, not the Earth, but the universe was created in six days then you've got you've got some explaining to do <laughs> i think but if you treat it as metaphorical then you know the six days doesn't have to be literally six days who long who, who knows how long a god day is right i mean when there's no sun and there's no earth how long does a day last is it 24 hours probably not right so if you treat it metaphorically it could work and um leviathan i've been doing my research um is uh, thought by many people to uh, many biblical scholars to have been created on the 5th day, I guess when God was creating the ocean. And some of the scholarship says that Leviathan was a two uh, was born, was created either male and female and then God killed the female to give to the or uh, killed the male to give to people on earth when he celebrated Jesus's so there's all sorts of biblical readings you can go into it, but I think what's kind of cool is that there is that little hint, is the Leviathan, if I get the line. Who is Leviathan? Oh, um, so uh, first I heard of Leviathan was, was from the Thomas Hobbes book, the political philosopher Thomas Hobbes called um, Government uh a leviathan and a leviathan is a giant monster um a biblical monster that has you know people of the period would have been well acquainted with in our modern times people are less acquainted with and there was a giant land monster and a giant sea monster and since um since uh hobbes had already written about the behemoth which is the may- uh, the land monster that's mentioned in the Bible, the giant beast that God created. Um, then he, when when he w- wanted to talk about the origins of government and the purpose of government, he he used le- Leviathan as the counterexample. But prior to that, in the Bible, the main discussion of the Leviathan is that it's in the Book of Job. A leviathan is uh, sometimes translated as a whale uh, also sometimes translated as a coil like a coil of rope but it could be a storm even just the power of nature uh, depending on how literal you're, you you want to be or how metaphorical you want to be what
2: was your reaction Tim? Um, actually I thought it, I thought it was pretty um, moving for like an older story like that well, how would it
1: made you um, the Think of both 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 ways looking at it, or
2: yeah, I, I guess you clued me in a little bit. Um, I didn't really think of Leviathan, but I, I guess I thought it could be supernatural. could not be supernatural. I kind of related it yeah. to uh, H.P. Lovecraft, like yeah, very much, like that 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 story where someone's in a cellar and he's just like uh, communicating back the horrors that he sees. Because this story has, um, I guess, somebody's on a, ra- a radio, or is it like a Morse it's code, like that. code thing? Yeah. Telegraph. Wireless yeah. wireless yeah. radio, yeah. Yeah, and they're sending back his... He's in, He's on a ship, and he's drowning, and he's sending back to the scientists all, what's happening until...
0: Right, but until he's extremely long-winded in the fair.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, kind of unrealistically uh, long-winded for a...
0: For someone uh, whose uh, imminent death is slowly encroaching.
1: <laughs> he's got a broken he, leg and a, a whack on the
2: head, <laughs> Right. but he's still very eloquent.
0: <laughs> he's still doing it, just great.
2: It's <laughs> as if H.P. Lovecraft was on a boat, and he was drowning. Well, what would he say? I uh,
1: I don't know I I don't know that there's any evidence that Lovecraft actually read this story because even though he's a uh, he was a scholar of weird fiction um, I don't think it's mentioned in supernatural horror and literature his sort of essay although he was well aware of uh, Hodgson and I think uh, they're similar in their basic uh, outlook on what the universe is like. Mm-hmm. Um, Hodgson, Hodgson, really interesting guy. Um, I've been reading a lot about him. And one of the things that is interesting about him is that he started off life as a sailor. And he was a young man, uh, went to sea as a merchant seaman, um, and there suffered a lot of abuse from uh, taller, uh, stronger, older sailors. And uh, he decided he wasn't going to take any of that and uh, started working out, basically, is what it is the what we would call it now, right? He, pump, he pumped himself up um, somehow, uh, and he actually became, later on, a, uh, a gym owner, and he was posing in magazines uh, of the early time. This movement called physical culture at the time, now we would just call being fit or having a six-pack or something like that. Uh, he was an early exponent of that, and that's actually how he got into writing as well um when he was a sailor he he was a photographer and he took photos uh while he was traveling all over the world and and um when he returned and said i'm not doing that anymore um he started writing about the photos he had taken uh taking he took photos of of storms at sea he took photos of uh water spouts and um all sorts of uh, nautical phenomena that would be relatively unfamiliar to people who aren't sailors. Uh, And then uh, to accompany those illustrations, uh, those photographs, he also wrote articles. And uh, because he found he was pretty good at writing, he he also wrote um, articles about physical culture, the sort of the movement that was up and coming. And... That you know he was he was he took photographs of himself, um, and wrote about that, and then he continued you know when that sort of didn't pay off when he was running a gym, uh, he turned to writing fiction, and that was a largely sea-inspired uh, stories, sort of like Edgar Allan Poe, but at sea, and Poe had done some of that as well. But I thought it was really interesting that he is kind of like a whole version of Lovecraft. Lovecraft, you know. He sets it in houses and in farm, you know, farmlands in small towns. And Hodgson's stories tend to be sea stories, sea monster stories, sea fungus stories, <laughs> sea um, sea uh, uh, ghost stories. And he has he has a, a series of short stories about the Sargasso Sea, which probably we know because of his his. Uh, Stories, even though we don't know them directly, we know about the Sargasso Sea and sort of a you know, a dead graveyard of ships. That's him. That seems to be him. Hmm. So he's, he's a fascinating dude.
0: Yeah, he, Why don't he,
2: they,
0: I really like that. I picked up the Lovecraftian hints um, pretty quick. I mean, it, he writes very similar to Lovecraft, and, and the subject matter is. Very similar as well, because Lovecraft kind of doesn't come out right and uh, well, he can at times, but in his best stuff, he doesn't come out and exactly tell you what it is that's going on or what it is that's plaguing the guy, you know, And, and this is the same sense in that he's kind of interpreting that storm and sea as something more than it might actually be. So you don't know yeah. if it is something else, or if it is just the sea, or if he's just stark raving mad. Which, you know, works out either way.
1: Well, probably, there's probably something happening because he's he's <laughs> he's telegraphing away like a madman, right? <laughs> right. Um, he's uh, the fastest uh, the, telegrapher in the west. <laughs> he is, and extremely, you know, he doesn't he doesn't word. Yeah. No. Yeah, he's like. Uh, Somebody writes an essay and then sends it out as a text message is not very uh, <laughs> common, but that's basically what's going on. Um, there's a there's a few things about the story itself that are pretty interesting. You know, like uh, it's it's a it's set up as a framed story, right? We've got three characters in the story. There's the well, I guess maybe three characters. Just the scientist. There's the unnamed narrator uh, who's annoyed at his scientist friend, and then there's the I guess John is the is the scientist. And then there's the unnamed uh, dude on the ship who is a wireless telegrapher. We, we get the intro to how we get the majority of the story by the scientist passing the papers that he's been transcribing to the narrator. And then the narrator just reads what was written. And that's the end of the story, right? There's no coming back to what the the narrator thought about what was going on it's just the end of it and in in a way that's i guess how to get into this transcript and so those two first characters don't matter but i i thought it was really interesting because there's something about uh what the guy actually says on the ship that i think is really interesting Uh, so what he says is no one has seen anything like this before and lived. Man was not meant to know about this and has never communicated it to anyone before because the technology was not available. This experimental wireless telegraphy thing that he's doing was not available in to previous people who have experienced this complete destruction by a, mon- a sea monster or whatever it is. And so, you can only have this story when the technology first comes about and the the Leviathan doesn't know that it's there. That's the implication. Do you guys notice that?
0: Yeah, but, I mean, notice that. But there's a whole other question I had regarding the story that that was far more, far more interesting for for me, at least. Which is why John never responds. I mean, he's... He's got pages upon pages of this last man's dying words. And
1: well, I think there's something about this mask being broken or something. Maybe his his recept, receiver was no good.
0: I don't know. I but he doesn't ever even when you mention him at the very beginning when Hudson introduces him, he's he's writing but he's not tapping. You know his machine yeah. is tapping. So you it's almost like he's purposefully not responding. And I'm kind of. Curious as to why? I mean, why would you be in that position position and not want to talk to your buddy dying in the ocean?
1: Well, uh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I, 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 think it's something about. I think there was something about the mask being broken. He doesn't even know if this message is being received, right? It's almost like uh, he he can transmit, but he can't receive. It's you know, it's a new technology, <laughs> right? Uh, it also it probably doesn't it doesn't help the story to have uh, the conversation. Please tell me more, because the guy's so uh, prolifically um, spouting out his.
0: Lap. Well, then the narrator is reading the transcribed sheets, so he's not yeah. going to obviously write down his own, own side of the conversation in transcribed sheets. But at the same time, at the end, he's actually you know he's saying you know are you there? Yeah,
1: you there? I mean it, it would it would be better as a radio, you know, like if it was just a. One-way transmission, right. and I think if you were adapting it a uh, an audio drama or something, you could just uh, just do that because then that would explain the long-winded thing, and you could have the sound effects in the background. But uh, you know, a lot of audio dramatists wouldn't like the the fact that he is narrating exactly what he's seeing, right? But I think you can only get this effect, not have it, of the ambiguity. You can only have this effect by not showing it. And, um, I mean, <laughs> I love at the end, right? He says, my God, I am drow, uh, owning, I am drow, <laughs> like, he's,
0: like he's got to start over the finger. Beard, you know, <laughs>
1: he's got his finger <laughs> over, uh, still tapping away and he's still, ta- <laughs> he's tapping out his last remedy. He's tapping out Gurgle.
0: Yeah.
1: It, it, it's almost Look. comedic.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's, that's classic. I mean, that's, uh. That's just weird fiction in general, I think, does that a lot.
1: Pretty much. Uh, what, I I, couldn't, uh, I was really disturbed by the message as well. I mean, this is, I think, uh, even more obvious in this story what is going on in cosmic horror than, uh, not even just cosmic horror, but in the sort of Lovecraftian point of view on how the world works. And I guess uh, the Hodgson point of view on how the world works is very disturbing. Um, there's the two incidents on the ship. There's the mother and the child, which is even stronger than the, uh, the second one. And then there's the boyfriend and the girlfriend.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And um, the way he explains it, right, he says, uh, let's see if I can get the line here. Uh, which which one happened first, in this story? I the story? The, the mother. mother the,
0: huh? Yeah, the mother and the child.
1: All right, let me read this section here. It's it's extremely disturbing. Okay, on the forecastle, I saw a mother and her little son clinging to an iron rail. A great billow heaved up above them, descended in a falling mountain of brine. It passed, and they were still there. The thing was only toying with them. Yet all the same, it had torn the hands of the child from the rail. And the child was clinging frantically to its mother's arm. I saw the mother—sorry—I uh, saw another vast hill hurl up to port, and hover above them. Then the mother stooped and bit, like a foul beast, at the hands of her wee son. It's like that is <laughs> the worst thing ever.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty disturbing. I mean, coming as a father, even that's—I can't imagine even being in that situation, and, and then contemplating, you know biting the hands of my child just so they'd let go so I might live for 20 more seconds.
2: Yeah. Shocking uh, I that mean, was back then when I was first written. It, it should have
1: been. Ex- I'm shocked by it now.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was pretty shocking.
1: She was afraid that his little additional weight would be more than she could hold. I heard his scream even where I stood. It drove it drove to me upon the wild laughter. And so he starts going nuts. He starts laughing in, in, uh, insanely, right? Um, it, told, it, it told me again that God is not he, capital H, but it. Now, uh, this is where, you know, you start saying, okay, this is the biblical end. So, an it. I think this line sums up basically the look of, of what Lovecraft and Hodgson are saying about what the universe is. The universe is not a he, but an it. A universe is a whole phenomenon, but a cruel and loveless one. Or a cruel and an evil one, perhaps. And he says, Then the hill thundered down upon those two. It seemed to me that the thing gave a bellow as it leapt. It roared about them, churning and growling, then surged away. And there was only one, the mother. There appeared to me blood as well as water upon her face, especially about her mouth. But the distance was too great, and I cannot be sure. I looked away. Close to me I saw another uh, something further a beautiful young girl girl and this is another interesting line right here her soul hit him with the breath of the thing her, how, how how can he see her soul
0: I have no idea but it sounds really cool doesn't
1: it It does um, you can read auras but okay so like God gives life right He breathes in life to huma- humanity right that's how he creates man. By breathing life in, and life is a spirit, and spirit actually means breath, if you go to the etymology of it, right? But in here, the breath is evil, hideous with the breath of the thing, right? And so, so, so I saw, and then she. This is the scary part. It says he threw. Uh, I'll keep going. Where did it say? Uh, so there's the brother, uh, the beautiful young girl, and her sweetheart, and they're. They're struggling for the shelter of the chart house. And he says he threw her off, but she came back at him. I saw her hand come from her head, where she, where still clung the wreckage of some form of headgear. She's got a hat or something. She struck at him. He shouted and fell away to leeward, and she smiled, showing showing her teeth. So much for that. I turned elsewhere. Um, she's smiling because she's got victory. <laughs> she gets to have shelter she gets to live a few more minutes this is horror. this is the most horrific thing ever yeah
0: yeah it's yeah. pretty bad it's pretty rough but I, and,
1: and it, his response is he, he he starts laughing uncontrollably
0: and in response to like the way you describe it is uh, you know when he says God is not he but it I think that does sum up um, Hodgson's and lovecrafts uh, viewpoint of the universe in general to a point but with both of them i think that it's not so much that they're evil as they are indifferent yeah they just don't it's almost like they don't <laughs> care it. yeah especially with lovecraft they just don't you know they don't care one way or the other it, it, it means nothing to them to wipe out you know a mother and a child or, or an entire race they just it, it's not anything to them and that's where the horror comes in with Lovecraft. But even in this, it's somewhat the same way. It's like the Leviathan or the ocean or whatever you want to call it is going to do what it's going to do, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. So, so
1: we can't. We 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 don't even get dignity in the face of it. though. that's the that's the most horrific thing. If we're reading Hodgson, right, I mean, in just a, three years later, we've got the massive Titanic disaster, right? And in that, we get uh, a few stories of of people. You know, not being very friendly with the <laughs> with you know the order of who gets to be saved. Uh, men dressing up as women to try and uh, get a you know it's and then that was a slow version of this, right? A slow disaster um, where people have more time to organize. I guess get on the boats and such. Although there wasn't not enough boats, it's 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 kind of like uh, when it comes down to the crunch, people are not nice i i'm not i'm not sure like i i don't want to believe that a mother would do that to her child i don't want to believe it but i uh i'm not sure i can find some evidence to say that that couldn't happen
0: well i think it can happen i just think that for that to actually happen the mother had to be slightly unbalanced to begin with
1: you would you, you would think but you know uh likewise you know if you've seen um I think Schindler's List. I think it was in Schindler's List where uh, the some refugees or uh, Jews are uh, trying to hide from some Nazis who are looking for them, and the baby starts to cry, and the mother has to smother the baby. Right,
0: wingley though—that's the thing. I think.
1: She, oh, she did it on purpose. In the, uh, if it's the if if that's the movie I saw it, and I, I mean, it I, I, you can see that because it's it's not just the baby who's at stake right it's everybody right it's a bunch of people and and that that's a calculated decision um based on you know the greater good but he, in this case you know
0: this is just pure I, malice you know i mean there's oh, it's off complete selfishness there's no reason for her to bite the hand of her own kid just because the weight is too much it doesn't it doesn't hold true to what I would hope to be the human condition in general.
1: Yeah. Let me read this section here. It's, it's very, it, it was, again, I think it sort of sums up the idea. It says, such, such a sight is difficult to describe to the living, though the dead of the sea know it. Without words of mine, it is such a sight that no one is allowed to see and live it is a picture for the doomed and the dead, one of the seas hell orgies, one of the things monstrous gloatings over the living. Save the alive and death say the alive it should be save, I think, the alive and death, those upon the brink. I have no right to tell you of it, to speak of it is to speak of it to one of the living is to initiate innocence into the infernal mysteries. To talk of foul things to a child. It's like, you don't do that, right? Yet I care not, I will expose it all in its hideous nakedness, the death side of the sea. The undoomed shall know some of the things that death has hitherto so well guarded. And death should be capitalized there. It's not, but it should be. Death knows not this little instrument beneath my hands that connects me still with a quick, else he would haste to quiet me. It's almost like he's saying that the storm being alive... If it is a storm or whatever it is, it is t- toying with these people as it crushes them and kills them, and you know takes pleasure in their, you know, breathing malice into them, and would only only does it this way because it knows no one will see it, right, and report back on it, and they can't because he will crush them. It will crush them all in the end, and this technology prevents that. Uh, you know, exposes
0: it. That, see, I don't know about that because that that seems to make it uh, like it has a weakness almost, and I, I just don't see it as having a weakness in that sense. You know, because if if it's exposed, then it's not going to do it anymore. Nah, I don't know.
1: Well, well, the uh, the expose that uh, the evil uh, seems to be uh, in in two parts. There's the Evil that exists um, in in the power of the storm or Leviathan, whatever it is, and there's also the evil in passing this information out. To it's like you know there's some things that are me- man is not yet meant to know, sort of thing. Where if we knew how horrible the sea is or how dangerous the universe is, we wouldn't tell our children how horrible and dangerous it was. So if there's the e- the evil of the universe, and then there's also the second evil of telling people about it, they're sort of mixed together there.
2: Will the evil be killed by shining the light of day on it? Is that what you're saying? Uh,
1: I don't I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Do you th- if this was a true story? If this was a true report, how would you react? <laughs> To it, how would it change your uh, your life? I think I would not go to sea very much, and I would try not to hang out with uh, people who had sharp teeth. I, I I don't know what I would do.
2: Yeah, I guess it's like seeing the movie Jaws. You don't want to go to the beach for a little while, at least.
1: <laughs> at least.
0: Yeah. Seemed, I, if, actually, if I had to take well, this as a as a true account, I, I think I just think the guy went crazy. I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, if, uh, I don't know if that I would have read into it. As much as he is, because I'm not there now. If I was there with them, maybe, but you know, being being separate like that, it kind of takes that away. So I think you're right, Tam. It'd be like Jaws. You know, avoid the beach for a few weeks and then go back to your business as normal.
1: Well, did did Jaws cause the uh, massive overreaction against sharks that we sort of see? People are afraid of sharks much more than they were. I don't know if I don't know. I know that people are afraid of sharks. And you know, I don't think Shark Week on Discovery Channel or whatever it is would be as popular as it as it is if if it wasn't for Jaws. Um, it, it's uh, in, in that case, it's not a true story either, right? But uh, it's actually a fair comparison in in a certain way because the shark is a is not doing it because it's evil; it's doing it because it's hungry,
2: mm-hmm. right? But it almost seems like the uh, ocean is torturing the people on purpose, or is it? Uh, is it just this natural flowing? Uh, nature
1: is cruel. Not just not just nature is indifferent, but nature is cruel.
0: And then it's taken though. You got to remember, it's it's taken through the eyes of this guy who's right. obviously not on his rocker at the point. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well, no, he but he is he is uncontrollably laughing. Uh, that's not that's not uh, something you do when you're in a good state of mind. I I would say.
0: No, I, even before that, when he starts, uh, you know, when he starts anthropomorphizing the, the waves and the ocean in general, you can tell he's a little bit off. Uh, <laughs> I mean, before he started, something may have happened before he started telegraphing John that we just don't know of that, that might have set him over. Or he may be one of those guys who just succumbs to fear in that way that uh, just drives him a little nutty.
1: And what if he isn't, though? That's the thing. Well, that's thing I
0: mean, don't know. Yeah. But then again, that might be why, uh, at the very beginning, John is so adamant for the for the narrator to, to shut up and, you know, don't interrupt him because he <laughs> knows that's <laughs> not his typical type of transmission he gets from this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might explain that.
1: At one point, he he slips into uh, like these and thous, you know.
0: Yeah. He um, starts talking about the Bible. He's, he he right. jumps right into that.
1: He's yeah. He's, he, I mean, those are, that's a <laughs> it's, it's almost like a parody of of uh, you know if if you want to be more holy, you just start sounding like uh, the King James version of the Bible. Right. But um, that's a translation. It's not like these and thous were. Uh, uh, common in the 19th or early 20th centuries, common speech, so it is a way of um, accessing that. But, yeah, I think the laughter, I mean, he says, at one point, he says, the sea is laughing. <laughs> the sea is laughing. Can you hear it? I forgot you can't hear. <laughs> you can see what I'm typing to you. Um, and then I, uh, well, I, tried, uh, I tried drawing the different parts of like I thought okay I'll I'll try and see what it looks like as he's describing it um, and so there's he he says the sky is the color of mud and I was thinking well mud's sort of brown isn't it mm-hmm. um so I've never seen a brown
0: well it could be gray too cuz yeah I I I said gray mud yeah gray yeah mud so uh, that's yeah. that's typical I mean I live down in the in the south, and hurricanes are unfortunately common. Tornadoes, that kind of thing, and you can definitely tell when a horrific storm is coming through because the mm. the uh, the sky does change a significant color.
1: There's um there's a uh, there's a, the the sky is like mud. It uh, maybe that's the shape of it as well, but also there's um, tentacles coming down. Right, and that to me makes me th- not think of a sea monster, but like just a an ocean sky monster you know uh one one of the students i uh, read this with was thinking it was uh, aliens (laughs) um uh, and that sort of tells you about our times more than uh right not it's cthulhu it's cthulhu Uh, except it's coming from the sky right these these tentacles are hanging down
0: well he's big you know
1: He's so big, like the top of. But actually, that's not completely wrong because if you look at, like, if you look at how he describes everything, there's these um, tentacles, and I, I think they're water spouts. Is if you're looking at it as a naturalistic phenomenon, they're they're you know um, like tornadoes except on on the water, and because the way he describes them is they look like they're solid except at the edge uh, where they. Um, are somewhat transparent or uh, translucent or something like that. They, they, they get a little strange at the edge. It's it's full of water. It's going to be uh, opaque. And then there's in the ocean, mm-hmm. these which are, I guess, rocks sticking out, out of the ground. And um, he, when somebody is thrown overboard uh, by a wave, uh, he, he's like, Gored on the on the rocks, or gored on the teeth, and it's like, oh, the, it's he's getting eaten,
0: right? right yeah, it's like it's almost out. like um, almost like the um, the rubble from the shipwreck itself. Maybe that was floating underneath the surface, and
1: or it could have been a could have been an iceberg or something as well. It's, it, it, it in any case, they're having sure. some sort of. Oh,
0: it could have been a real shark down there.
2: Okay. Yeah, it could have been um i thought it might have been just the hard impact of the waves going really fast
0: right
1: yeah those things were teeth it has te- it has teeth mm-hmm. separate sense i heard them clash i heard i heard his yell that's the guy who's got knocked over it was more than a mosquito shrilling amid all the laughter the ship is lurching very queerly what 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 a sort of sickening heave I fancy I have been asleep. So he's been knocked out. I think he knocked himself. I hit my head. He says, and so he he goes away. He wakes up. He finds his leg is broken, and then he continues to tap away at the uh,
0: from the floor. Supposedly, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My leg is dumb. Uh, yeah, my leg is double under me. I have been praying, and at, at this point he starts saying, "Oh crap! I I think I was blaspheming." Because he was saying, you know, God is not he, it's an it. And he starts, may he forgive me, thou knowest God, that I was not in my right mind. Right? He's like he's like at his last end, so he's trying to get back into the good books, I think.
0: Right. I think he had a moment oh. of clarity right here is what happened. What do you think? Yeah, I think this was, I, oh crap, I'm nuts. This is his self-realization that he might have lost it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he does a lot of praying and then he he dies. Oh, we assume he's drowning, anyways. Okay. Uh, but I, I like the last part. He says it. Uh, the sea has come for me. It's rushing down the companionway. It it looks like a vast jet. He can actually see a corridor a corridor of water, pushing towards him. Right.
0: He'd still he's still to tap away. Right? Yeah.
2: So maybe, but then he, he I, guess, I guess the water he hit was. his hand and that's why he couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 drowning. I'm.
0: He he has time to uh, to beg John there before the beginning, you know, uh, asking her him not to tell her how it was, or Mm, first to tell her how it was and then don't tell her like it was, please.
1: Well, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, do you think uh, I've never been in a war? But you know how sometimes people who have been they say I don't, you know, there's nothing to talk about. I don't want to talk about it. Um, Is it because it? it's like this it's just too horrific they can't think of anything good that would come from telling people what it was like or do you think it's i think it's a different
0: case he's at first he's telling her he's saying yeah go ahead and tell her but then he realizes you know again what he was saying after that last wave breaks over you know and he gets knocked out again and he comes back and he's like no don't tell her anything about what i said you know but i didn't mean it i'm sorry I'm obviously off my rocker. You know, I'm obviously growing strangely confused, is what he says. Yeah. So I, I think he's just, towards the end, having that, you know, that clarity before death moment, I
1: guess. He he sort of goes through the, the steps of the, you know, denial, anger, acceptance sort of thing. Right. Except uh, he he doesn't ever have the denial.
0: <laughs> no. He,
1: Maybe that higher.
0: We missed, yeah. That's what was at the very beginning before the story.
1: Mm-hmm. I just I'm so impressed that you can get so much out of a you know four-page story like mm-hmm. this. Most most stories there's there's so little uh, that happens in comparison. But it it doesn't. It, I mean I think it suffers in the sense that it, it is not uh, very realistic in in certain aspects. But because you get so many ideas per square uh, centimeter a page, it, it tends to you know overshadow that. It might be. You know, not the best written story ever, but it's certainly powerful.
2: Kept my interest. There you go.
0: Yeah, it was good. I liked it.
2: Uh, actually, I was going to compare, like, going insane to Lovecraft 2. Like, usually the main character goes crazy mm. at the end. Right. But I guess in this case, he uh, has a moment of clarity. Now, Murph,
1: you, you play uh, uh, what it's called Cthulhu, right?
0: Yeah, I play Call of Cthulhu, the role-playing game.
1: Right, and uh, you do even a podcast about that. Um, this is a, I don't think Tam knows this, but I've, I've only played Call of Cthulhu once a long time ago. Um, I, I believe your character starts off with a certain number of sanity points, and then uh, as the game progresses, he loses sanity points until at some point he goes insane.
0: Right. Is that how it works? Yeah, there's there's a stat for sanity, and as you encounter more and more, you lose some of that sanity and and if you lose so much over a shorter period of time then you go temporarily insane you know? ah. have little bouts of insanity like this guy has but then you come out of it like he does at the end right so i mean it's it's a really fun game if you guys have ever played uh, pen and paper rpgs right it's a lot of fun.
2: So, it, so everybody a, loses
0: pretty much
1: <laughs> it's just how you lose
0: well it's not like your typical Dungeons and Dragons RPG, where you're there just to fight and level up. There's no.
1: It's not a hack and slash. I, I think I heard you yes. talking about it in your first podcast. Right?
0: Yeah, it's not a hack and slash game at all. So you're not there to level up. You're there to to solve a mystery. Um, it's an investigation type game. But if you ever come up against some of the stuff that Lovecraft created, or or Campbell, or any of the other pulp writers, there's a lot of monsters from across you know the all of weird fiction that show up in that game.
1: Do you think, do you think uh, an acquaintance with this, you know, a vast acquaintance actually would hurt your, your enjoyment of the game? Like, uh, so, for example, if you, you know, you go into the uh, swamp in, in Florida and, you know, you've got a coil of wire and <laughs> you've got a spade and there's a guy with you who has a copy of the Necronomicon and he won't tell you why you're going into the swamp, but you've read. Uh, the statement of Randolph Carter, would that hurt your gameplay or would that enhance the gameplay, do you think?
0: Well, that comes like, down to just a good role player, I guess. And people people are going to make fun of us for this just because it's the typical trope, right? To make fun of the geeks with the uh, pen and paper role playing. But, I mean, it, it really is some talent there. You, as a player, you know that what's going to happen, you know, you're walking into the swamp and you're about to get sacrificed or become some part of some unknown cult but right. you know, as, a, as the character that you're playing you don't uh, you don't typically know that and so you try not to let that be known because that's when the
1: No, f- no I mean more enjoyment like would oh. you enjoy it more if you've read the story that you know sort of is inspired I guess not recently but like in the past It really depends
0: Cause, really
1: Cause, uh, My understanding is that most people who play Call of Cthulhu uh, at least back in my time were not super familiar with Lovecraft that was sort of their first introduction to it yeah, Is that your experience?
0: Uh, no, I actually read Lovecraft long before I got into the role-playing. Huh. Okay. One of those weird ones. Now, I will agree with you that most people are the opposite. They find the game, and then they go into Lovecraft that method, you know, that direction. But uh, It's
1: hard to know which... which uh, so, so did you find your... You know, you liked that. Because uh, the way I experienced it was, you know, I didn't know who Lovecraft was. I'd heard of Call of Cthulhu, the game, well before I read any Lovecraft. Yeah, I had actually been.
0: Uh, I was a big Poe fan. Um, I, I read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe, and when I was younger, I realized that Lovecraft had a very when he was early on wrote almost exactly like Poe did, um, and so I picked up on that and I started reading Lovecraft, and then that kind of you know expanded from there into general mythos, weird fiction in general.
1: So uh, let's talk about your other podcast. You've got a podcast called the Miskatonic University Podcast.
0: Right, at the Miskatonic University podcast. We talk about the Call of Cthulhu role playing game. Um, it is a complete nutter geek fest, and we love it. Um, we've been on most of this year. I think we we just recorded episode seventeen this morning. So fun stuff.
2: Is it? Yeah. And- is it weekly, or how often's come out?
0: Do bi-weekly. Um, we record every week, uh, but every other week we record the show. Then the week in between, we actually record an actual play game, you know, and then we release that.
1: Oh, huh. do you find um, uh, like some people are only listening to one uh, one kind of show, and the other people are listening to the other kind? Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, if you're doing gameplay shows, those are based on modules or. Are they original
0: stories? That- both. We've done both. Where where you know some of them are original campaigns and some of them are published scenarios. But it, it's funny. I, whenever we started doing this, somebody brought up we should do an actual play show, and, and I was kind of like, no, let's not do that. I don't. I don't particularly listen to those. But there's actually a surprising amount of people who do. Um, in fact, most of the people who listen to the podcast actually listen to the live play show, uh, which is weird for me at least, I, I would have thought it had been exactly the opposite, but in all honesty, they get about the same amount of stats and downloads, which is saying something, because hmm. the live shows are are like, um, you know, the live play shows are, are over two hours long at times. Hmm. So that's...
1: So that's, that's a, you're, you must be playing every week then, or every second week then, is that right? Yeah,
0: we play it and record it at the same time every every two weeks.
1: And are you the... Uh, it's called, not Dungeon Master, it's the Keeper, right? Right, the, the Keeper. we that the... We, we, so we, so the Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, there's four of us who do the podcast primarily, and then we rotate out every, uh, every campaign. And then we have typically we bring in a fan from the forums uh, to join us mm. in that period where we where we're playing that one campaign. So we'll pull in a fan. We've had uh, we've had another podcaster Tony from Skype of Cthulhu playing with us, and then a uh, guy named Hugh from down in uh, Australia.
1: So you're you're playing uh, over Skype?
0: Yeah, yeah, we play over Skype.
2: Oh, cool. So you don't need yep. to see anything? It's all uh, audio?
0: Yeah, it's all audio. Um, you do an honor system for dice rolls. Uh, it actually works <laughs> really well.
1: I'm uh-huh. sure. I, you know, anyone who's going to cheat at uh, <laughs> that is going to find himself not welcome, I think.
0: Cause, yeah, I mean, you... you know, most of the guys who are into this and listen to that show are pretty hardcore gamers to start with and so right. they're not really likely to do that to begin with no, no
1: that's that's a ba- that, you know that's little children and yeah. cheat at that sort of thing it's pretty silly um, cuz i mean especially in this game uh, my understanding what my brief experience playing uh, was that you you know the object is not to win right you can't win <clears throat> it's just to have fun and uh, the fun comes in not knowing what's going to happen.
0: Right. So it's that you, or, or um, I mean, the winning in this case would be looking at it from the character's point of view would be like saving the world, you know, preventing some great old one from coming back or whatever. Right. But that might happen at the sacrifice of the character's own lives. So right. in that sense, it's not like any other role playing game.
2: Yeah. It must die um, I, Well,
1: it's, uh, yeah. I, th- I guess the closest would be, I don't know if, uh, Paranoia still around, you know that that one.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's very uh, similar.
1: It's that's probably the closest I would say to uh, to the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Are there? Uh, it's been a long time since I've played. Uh, I guess there's still new modules coming out and new new sto- new rules books and stuff, so people can still get into it, not just like nostalgically by buying the stuff on eBay, but actually getting mm-hmm. them at stores.
0: Yeah, Chaosium is still producing. They've uh, We're actually doing the playtest for the 7th edition right now. They asked us to do that, so that's pretty cool. Um, they've got six editions of the rulebooks out, um, and just the whole smorgasbord of, of supplements and alternate campaigns and all sorts of stuff. In fact, just to throw a bone out there, they, they recently mm-hmm. did a, a Kickstarter uh, campaign. Uh, Chaosium did, the people who produced the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. They asked for $20,000 so that they could produce a new version of the horror on the Orient Express, which is like a really famous box set adventure from the early 80s that had all sorts of handouts and stuff. It's just a really cool box set. Huh. It ended just a few, about a week ago now, and they raised over $260,000.
1: Wow. So That's I mean, crazy. I mean,
0: it's an insane amount. they they more than 1,000% over. The budget that they were looking for.
1: Well, I, I guess it'll be real deluxe then, huh?
0: <laughs> it was. It's pretty neat. It's supposed to be pretty nice. So I. I can't wait. I've got money on that myself.
1: So so as your um, reward for kickstarting it, you get uh, I guess a copy.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I put depending it depending on the different levels. Right to put it on the different levels. I I was classified as a first class passenger. I gave them. <laughs> It was really neat the way they did it, but I, I gave them $90, uh, and that gives wow. me the full box set. I'm also going to get a set of – I mean, they started adding on all kinds of stuff once they realized they were just blowing their goals away. So, like, they're going to do these train model train cars made out of card stock that they're going to do, and then tickets, got gold foil tickets for the Orient Express, passports, um, T-shirts, dice, um, all sorts of things that you end up getting.
2: They can make so a real a, train.
0: Yeah. yeah. You literally, you so, really can you know, out of paper. So for
1: people, for people who haven't uh, played role-playing games before, uh, pen and paper role-playing oh, yeah, games. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, I, th- I think a lot of people haven't. Um, I, I think they're fairly similar to just you know reading fiction, except they're more interactive. It's more like a social, social event. Um, and it's collaborative. Is that how you would say?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole whole reason we do it this way, is so that you can always get with your friends and have fun. And it's uh, it's much more enjoyable that way than just sitting on a computer and playing, you know, WoW for nine hours by yourself in a lonely room.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I played, uh, in the modern era, I played, like, Fallout and that sort of thing. You know, the modern right. uh, single players, where you're basically, you're playing a, a single-player campaign against, uh, you know, a set of rules. And th- what it doesn't have is the interaction between you know real intelligent people uh that you know so when you get to a dialogue tree um you know there's a lot of skipping ahead and skipping past because it's just it's not a good interaction but uh, single you know like a a real role-playing game where you're talking to people that's that's some of the best part right it's not the dice rolls that you care so much about no it's, it's the, the, the uh,
0: interaction a lot of people um, and this is going to sound geeky too, but a lot of people correlate it to almost like theater, you know, where you, mm. where you're playing a part and, and a lot of guys will get really into it and play the part, you know, throw on accents. And uh, if you play in person, they'll, especially with call of Cthulhu props are a big deal. Um, some people will make up like the Necronomicon, their own prop, <laughs> or all these other weird books that are, that come up and they'll, they'll decorate the room that you do it in. I mean, it can, the ambience in this game can add a lot, you know. Um, it, it's just a really fun time, you know.
1: Do you think Do you think uh, if Lovecraft was alive, he would have played uh, this? Or is it is it... Because uh, I have a feeling he would. I, I was looking at a book the other day someone had scanned, and it said... Uh, it had a quote from... It was a little early autobiography of him, and it said... Uh, as a as a child i had my mother make up a corner of the of my room in the style of the arabian Nights, and i insisted she call me abdul al hazred right. <laughs> and i was thinking well that's this is clearly a guy who you know he's living in his head um he's he's not letting the uh these the culture around him uh not do with the things that he's interested in and I think they, there's a massive underground sort of thing that a lot of people don't know, that there are people still doing these pen and papers, even in, in the modern era, yeah. even if it is over Skype.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. it's but Skype and VoIP technology in general has really expanded that out so that a lot of guys like me who are older and haven't been able to play for a while have been able to pick up with groups and, and do what they like doing you know, that they haven't been able mm. to. And so technology has done nothing more than actually expand upon the already growing base that we had well shrinking base that we had after uh you know the mmos really hit yeah so it started dying away a little bit but now there's a really strong undercurrent of uh guys who really like playing and uh, they're all typically a little bit older than you than they were when we were kids you know and when sure. i was younger everybody was in the you know the the 13 to 22 range uh, now it seems to like that's jumped a decade or more, so you know.
1: So how, how do you get how do you get the young people interested in it? Otherwise, it's going to be sixty year olds in a, a couple of decades that are doing it instead of uh, forty year olds.
0: Uh, honestly, I think I think they can come to it like I can to it and go through the fiction. Um, I mean, I started with a lot of different role playing games. I didn't start with Call of Cthulhu by any means, but. Um, I think just reading in general will get you there. And then once you play a couple of regular MMOs on the computer and realize how crappy the dialogue is, well, <laughs> start a yeah, little bit better, you know.
1: And you know, uh, the other thing that's amazing, I, I don't understand why people play WoW because, uh, and uh, games like it, is, is the grinding. You know, like you... Right. you are doing things over and over again that are completely uninteresting right because you're gonna get that one little thing and what you're really missing is is the fun part of role-playing game which is you know either if you if it's you're a dungeon master or a keeper you can make up you know it's you telling the story and interacting with people who are very interested in what you're saying and if you're a player it's like you're reading the story except you get to make your own jokes instead of listening to what the character is, uh, you know, the character's jokes
0: are. And if you're playing it with other people, you know, you have that, that person running the game, the game master, the keeper, the dungeon master, whatever you want to call them. And they're able to actually either hear how you're reacting to what's happening or see it, you know, if you're person to person and can adjust things so that it's not as boring. So they can tell, oh, well, he's getting bored. We'll change this up a little bit. You know, and so right. changes. That's something that cannot happen with an MMO. It just not possible.
1: No. And uh, although you, you can play with other people, nobody grinds with other people together in the same way that... No. Uh, especially that, that's, I think, is what makes um, Call Cthulhu so different is that it isn't about... There's no... Uh, the leveling up thing is not what you're going for. There's no hack and slash even. That, that, that made the Dungeons and Dragons model uh, so popular um i think is the is the weakest part of dungeons and dragons myself whenever i played leveling and you know gold and all that stuff was not at all what i was interested in i was interested in the storytelling and right uh you know seeing what what's around that rather than much gold yeah
0: yeah there's both though you know you end up with guys who want to do both things you end up with guys who want to do nothing but roll dice and kill stuff And then you end up with guys like us who like the story. And the Call of Cthulhu RPG is more geared towards the guy who likes the story. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.